Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're in the game. We're in the Drita and Dorothy. And how are you tonight, Drita? I'm good. And how are you? Very good. Now, spoiler alert, we had part one last week. If you haven't listened to that, you might want to wander back and have a listen before we get into part two. Um, we've been talking about Ted Bundy and his um, murderous rampage through uh, a few different states in America. And, you know, the way he went about things... Um, and, and how he presented himself in his court cases, uh, because he spent a lot of time trying to look like a clever man, a clever strategist, an important person. And really, he just came off looking like an egotistical fool, I think. And I don't know, did you ever see any of the, the documentaries where you saw the footage of him when he was actually in court and when he was being interviewed by the psychologists? Yeah, it's quite arrogant. He was, he was not just arrogant. He went a bit further than that because it was like he was acting. I don't know if you sort of thought about that or, or whether at the time a lot of people may not have, but I always sort of looked at him and it's like he was. He knew the cameras were on. He knew he was being recorded. And it was like he would keep stealing glances at the camera as if he was an actor. In fact, a certain amount of what he did was straight out of TV movie roles, like his escape from jail, the second one, um, was straight out of Alcatraz, the movie. He would just need to have been in a different cell for that not to have worked. I mean, it was the chances, right? So he had a lot of luck on his side. and But he didn't even use that well. A man in his position where he was looking at, at death as a sentence and he knew it, one would think once he got away the first time, that he would just disappear into the mechanism and not be found again. But instead of that, he goes and parks outside and starts stalking women and gets seen by a policeman and very quickly gets caught again. Um, he, he gets caught driving, weaving all over the road in his second... I think he's just wanting attention too. Well, yeah, I, th I think he wanted to be seen as a clever man. I really believe that. He wanted to be seen as some super intellectual guy, and he just wasn't. So he, he couldn't follow it through. You know, he couldn't pull it off. And so because he did things like that and then didn't know what to do, his only power ever came when he was performing as a weak man, a broken leg, on crutches, broken arm, with a sling, and he would get women to feel sorry for him, or not sorry for him, but they would help him, feeling like they were safer because he was damaged in some way. That that was his only 
um, success and he succeeded at it time and time again and he, he, he chose his victims in the moment. It wasn't something that was a long-term plan. And you see this a lot with like intense serial killers, you know, guys that go out there like him and the murder, he, he'd do two in a day, he'd do two in a month or one in every week, you know, for a while. And therefore, they're not really thinking too much about it. They're just really hard to catch because it's so random that there's no connection between them and the victim. So there's nothing that can be sort of put together on that front and that's why he was always shifty I think um, because you can't be going somewhere all the time and put yourself in the pool of suspects so he needed to be pretty anonymous. Uh, once he escaped um, that um, second time about 10 minutes had passed before anyone realised that Bundy had escaped uh, again and roadblocks were put at both ends of Aspen the sheriff's department searched each vehicle that left town and Bundy fled into the mountains where he broke into a cabin staying for several days. He eventually walked back into Aspen where he stole a car that was unlocked and had the keys in the ignition. So, you know, he couldn't even break into a car and steal a car. And, you know, it had to be... And hot wire one. It had to be a crime of opportunity. The keys were in the ignition and it was unlocked. Otherwise, he was naked. A deputy pulled him over after spotting the car weaving along the road. And, you know, one's got to ask that question. Why was he weaving along the road? Could he not drive the car? <laughs> what's going on there? You know, what's actually going on there? Uh, he may have been trying to do something, who knows. But a deputy had pulled him over, and that was only six days after his escape. He could have disappeared into Nowheresville, um, but, no, he was back in custody. He proved that he could get away, but showed he didn't have the intellect to manage a long-term escape. He fell victim to the simplest of mistakes and he attracted attention for no good reason. Bundy was then moved to the Garfield County Jail in Glenwood Springs, Colorado. In his cell was a grate that was not secured. There was also a light fixture that was due to be welded but had not been repaired. In the time Bundy had been behind bars and the months he spent at the jail, Bundy began losing weight. And we will find out exactly why. <laughs> when I visited him in Glenwood, I noted that he had lost a lot of weight, said John Henry Brown. And that was Bundy's former defence attorney. And he's, he told this to 2020. I'd say he lost 20 or 25 pounds. I would think this would have come to the attention of the jailers, perhaps. Like, why is he doing this? Bundy carved an opening that was in the ceiling of his cell, wider than it was, so that he could fit through. He then arranged some law books and pillows to make it look like there was a body in his bed. He called through the ducting, and just like in a movie, Brown said, on December the 30th, 1977, Bundy came down into one of the jailer's apartments, who wasn't there, put on some building clothes, and escaped into the night. And as we said, it was straight out of the film, Alcatraz. <laughs> For a second time. Bundy had managed to escape from police custody in Colorado after leaving the jail. He boarded a flight to Chicago, took a train to Ann Arbor, Michigan, drove south to Atlanta, and got into a bus to Tallahassee, Florida. Bundy was added to a list of FBI's 10 most wanted fugitives. It was in Florida where Bundy killed his final known victims, Margaret Brownman, 21, Lisa Levy, 20, and Kimberly Leash, 12. On February 15, 1978, more than a month after the murders of Brown, 
Brownman and, Le and Levy at Florida State University, Chai Omega House, and a week after abducting Kimberly from her junior high in Lake City, Florida, Boundy was arrested for the final time in Pensacola, Florida at 1.30 a.m. An officer noted a car loitering suspiciously and the officer ran the plate and discovered the orange Volkswagen was stolen. After a scuffle, Bundy was arrested but refused to identify himself. Once in custody, Bundy told the officer he was a FSU student named Kenneth and gave them a stolen driver's license. After two days in custody, he finally revealed his true identity to authorities. The opening prosecution statements are low-key presentation based on the fact that unemotionally was made by Larry Simpson. Bundy was not happy at all. His attorney, with his attorneys, on July 20th, the first day of defense, he addressed Judge Edward Howard and claimed that attorneys were inadequate. He placed the blame largely at Mike Minera, Minevera for dropping out of the, of the case without warning. He now said that Minivera had the most experienced courtroom presence in, the, in this case. He neglected to mention that he had asked Minivera to leave in the first place. Yeah, so, you know, ego is not yeah, yeah. going to land anytime soon when he's, 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 I think, just trying to bamboozle people and make them think he's, he's, um, I keep thinking, you know, he wanted people to think he was clever, um, and, but actually he really wasn't. And I don't think that that was a, a bid to make people think he was crazy. There was a, some um, competency talk because he was acting so, um, he was acting so, uh, what am I looking for? He was, he was acting in, in a very either irresponsible way or he was acting in a way that was erratic, probably is more like it. But I think that that erratic behaviour was simply him trying to be clever and then being shown not to be. You know what I mean? And right, right. It's almost like, yeah. I think his whole behaviour... Almost was, like delusional. Well, in except a, that he kept looking like he was acting, to be honest. It's like, this is what this should look like. You know, if I was going to be a clever lawyer, I would pace backwards and forwards and I would do this. Like, I've watched it on TV, I've watched it on the movies and that's how I'm going to act like and then as soon as he hasn't got the script he wants he's like a tantrum throwing child <laughs> so mm -hmm. he's the, the exact opposite of that he had stated that he disliked his defense team as a whole he had had no choice in the selection of Bob Haggard to represent him in Miami and that he had not been asked at any time his opinion about who should be representing him in the public defender's office Please note, public defender's office, you don't get that choice necessarily, right? You're not paying for and it. It's appointed to you. It's appointed to you. So, so he just sounds ridiculous at every objection. He also stated that he thought it was important to note that there were communication problems between himself and his attorneys, which had reduced his defence. I want to also add through, through this that um, a big part of what he was doing here was delaying the court case itself it took yeah. long it took a long time for this man to get into court because he kept doing stupid things um the defense which was not his or sanctioned by him nor one that he could say he agreed with 
He complained that his lawyers had ignored his own input into the case, which of course would be a smart thing for a lawyer to do, <laughs> and would not let him make decisions. Again, smart for lawyers to do. He also claimed they were stubbornly refusing him the right to cross-examine witnesses before the jury. In addition, although Millard Farmer's name was not mentioned, the implication was clear that Bundy wanted the record to show he had not had his attorney of choice. And that becomes more ego than anything else because nobody cared about his choice. No, wasn't paying for his attorneys. Judge Cowett was astounded and stated that he knew of no case he had seen or experienced where an individual had received the quality and the quantity of counsel Bundy had. And Cowett stated that he had never seen anything like what had happened in the defense of Ted's case, not in 27 years at the bar. Hmm. One Bundy re reminded remained insistence. Yet again, he, st he stated that he wanted to take over his own defense, uh, covered consistent. However, he warned him that the lawyer who represented himself has a fool for a client. From then on, Bundy was in charge uh, and his attorneys were merely advisors. Ed Harvey questioned the defense witness, however, Harvey, again trying to save his client, asked for another con con complicity hearing, he stated. A man's life is at stake. He should be forced to take the service of a public lawyer whom he has not no confidence in. He conducted his revealed and de deliberating effects of his mental disorder by re reflection of total lack of insights regarding the dis disorder and its effects on him by reflecting a wholly inadequate ability to counsel with the lawyers about the case. And Danny Mc, McNiver opposed the co contempt hearing and claimed, the man is difficult to work with. He almost cunning the way he works against his attorney sometimes, but he is complete competent. And please, this pleased Bounty. To him, anything was better than being considered incompetent. <laughs> well, you, you go think about that, eh? <laughs> there were two pieces of crucial evidence during the trial. Those were Nita nearly, Nita nearly identifying Ted Bundy in the court as a man she saw leaving the Chai Omega house and sh as she arrived home on the night of the murders. The plaster cast of Bundy's teeth were on exact match of the bite marks on Lisa Levy's left buttocks. Bundy's cross-examination of Roy Prue, the FSU officer on the scene at Chi Omega, was inept. He pushed Prue hard to describe the scene in graphic detail as if determined to impress upon the jury the awfulness of the crime. In his own belief of his intellectual prowess, he would have been gravely mistaken. Essentially, he was a copyist and would have been mimicking TV shows and what he thought a lawyer might look or sound like, or was trying to have a little bit of one-upmanship with the lawyers, which did know what they were doing. When Coral Gable's dentist, um, Dr. Richard Sviron, um, took the stand, Bundy took a back seat. He knew that this could kill him. More than that, he had nothing to argue. It is tempting to think he had learned his lesson with his incompetency, but it's more likely he simply knew that with the um, 
dentist's speciality, he would look foolish for trying to and not being able to understand the medical terminology. Lisa Levi had sustained bite marks through her left buttock, as mentioned, and when photos were compared to blow-ups of Ted's mouth, Savira was able to show similarities. Prosecutor Simpson asked whether or not Savira was able to tell him if Ted made the marks, and Savira stated, yes, this was the first time there was any physical evidence to link Ted to a murder victim. Defendant Ed Harvey was quick to try and undermine this setback, asking Savira if analysing the bite marks was or was not both part art and part science. Savira agreed that it was. Harvey then asked whether or not Savira's conclusions were a matter of opinion. Again, the dentist agreed. But the damage was already done. And I want to point out a little bit there is like the, the bite mark evidence is not really as reliable as people might like to think. But if you have got an anomaly in your mouth, it reduces the chances of somebody else being able to be in that area doing that particular thing at that particular time when you were found there. And that reduces the probabilities to you know an extreme extent. This, this evidence dealt a large blow to the defense team and they never recovered from it. Bundy, who had been eager to play the advocate, then declined to testify in his own behalf. The true weakness of his character presenting itself with when intelligence well thought, at, thought out questions were asked. Larry Simpson rose to give the closing arguments for the prosecution. He spoke in his usual subtle manner for 40 minutes. He stated that the first degree murder could be committed in the state of Florida in two different ways. One of those ways was by a person who permeated and thought exactly about what he was doing, going to do and did so, which he said he proved to be particularly in this case, a premeditated and brutal murder of two young women sleeping in their beds. The second, way he stated was during the commission of a bulgari. Furthermore, the state had also proven a bulgari in, in that case. He said that he had asked Nita Neri on the witness stand whether she recalled the man she saw at the door of the Chai Omega Sorotiet house on the morning of January 15, 1978. Her exact words were, Yes, sir, I do. He asked uh, her if that man was in the courtroom on that day or not. And she said, yes, sir, he, wa he was and pointed out Simpson claimed that in itself was proof that Bundy's guilt was sufficient enough to support the convictions on this case. In addition to, th to that, he continued to add circumstantial evidence he mentioned Rusty Gag and Harry Plumbo testi testimonies. The fact that they stand stated that he that the defense in this case had said he thought that what he had done was professional jobs. Simpson said, "Ladies and gentlemen, this man recognized from the morning of those murders that this was a professional job." that no clue has been left. He thought he had gotten away scot-free. It's quite, <laughs> uh, he mentioned that 
the links with the license tag stolen from Randy Reagan's van and the stolen Volkswagen Ted escaped to Pensacola and the room wiped clean of prints. He mentioned that Ted Bundy arrested by officer Dave, David Lee. Ted Bundy had said that David said to David Lee, I wish you had killed me. If I run now, will you shoot me? He questioned why Bundy had such said such things and the officer that was a damn that they were the words of a man guilty of the most horrible pr crimes possible. So from there, you know, they keep talking about this, that one piece of physical evidence. And I think I think we need to look at the word circumstantial. In, in a modern world, there's a lot made up about circumstantial evidence. And the, the, the reality is that everything outside of physical evidence is circumstantial. That doesn't mean it's shoddy or loose evidence. It just means that there is a little bit of room for wiggle or denial. Um, when you are talking about a person who's in a stolen car with stolen identifications outside of a, a place where two girls have just been murdered, you've, you've got a lot of questions in there that you can call circumstantial. But then why would you say, if I run now, will you shoot me? Or I wish you had mm -hmm. killed me. It's like a totally out there comment to make for having just stolen a car or having a bit of an illegal license on you, right? Nobody would even think to go there unless they're already in deep, deep blue. So bearing in mind, he this is his second escape. He's an escape prisoner at this point. Exactly. And he's in this space where he shouldn't be near where two girls have been murdered and he's been physically identified by a woman as him leaving the apartments. There's a lot going on here. He mentioned Patricia Lasko's testimony, which linked the two curly brown hairs in the pantyhose mask next to Cheryl Thomas's bed to their source. In other words, it's another piece of physical evidence. Ted Bundy's head itself. Simpson stated that the pantyhose mask came from the man who had committed those crimes. In fact, the hairs from the pantyhose mask came from that man too. Dr. Savirin's testimony had been possibly the most damning thing of all, but it certainly wasn't the only evidence. Savirin's conclusion was that he was reasonably certain that the white marks on Lisa Levi's buttock had been made by Theodore Robert Bundy. When he was asked if it was possible anyone else could make, have made the marks, um, he said that it would be like finding a needle in a haystack. Dr. Lowell Levine, a chief consultant in forensic dentistry to the New York Medical Examiner, had confirmed by telling the court that dental identification had been admitted into testimony as far back as the late 19th century. When he was asked about the possibility of someone else leaving a bite mark on Lisa or someone else having teeth that could leave that mark, he said it was a practical impossibility. Simpson ended the speech by claiming more or less that the defence was desperate. He spoke of how Dr. Devore, the defence expert, had told the court how Ted could have left that same bite mark. Simpson said that the defence had been in a very problematic situation by saying, any time they've got to put a witness on who will say that their man could have committed this crime, they've got real problems. And it was a desperate move, a damn desperate move, that might have succeeded, but it did not. Peggy Good then rose to speak for the defence. She had very little to work with or bend to their favour. 
There were no alibis, no one to claim that they did indeed have an alibi for Bundy. The only thing she had to work with was talk of reasonable doubt. Uh, there is no denying there was a great and horrible tragedy that occurred in Tallahassee on January 15th. Through there, uh, those were four un unfortunate women beaten while sleeping in their beds, were injured, killed. But it, but, uh, but I ask you not to compound the tragedy by convicting the wrong man when the state evidence is, is insufficient to prove beyond reasonable doubt that Mr. Bounty and no one else in the person that com is, is the person that committed these crimes. How tragic it would be if a man's life could be taken from him because 12 people thought he was probably guilty, but they were not sure. Yeah, you must assure yourself that you will not wake up <laughs> and doubt your, your, your decisions and wonder if you convicted the wrong man here two weeks after he is dead and gone. There are basically two ways for the police investig to investigate a crime. They can go to the crime scene, they can look for clues, and they can follow those clues to their logical conclusion and find a suspect or they can find a suspect, decide on the suspect, and, and decide to make the evidence fit him and only him. She dismissed the introductions of the mass, masses of blood, bloody sheets and bloody photographs, and she pointed out the lack of fingerprinting matching and mismatching of evidence. She found Nita Neri's identification to be faulty claiming she was. Uh, she wants to help if she can, and she can't let herself believe that the two men who committed those crimes are still on the street. The, the, the problem I've got with that is one for lawyers, I guess. I, I don't understand why it that should be illegal, anything. That, it, that person who's got no real defense comments to make um, spends their time weaving a false story um, by trying to guilt a jury mm. because she's not offering a defence. Please note the word no. defence implies offering a defence. And then to make it worse, she's got a person who's, who's rock solid, an eyewitness who saw him and points him out quite comfortably, and then she says something as a name as she wants to help if she can. That's like the ultimate narcissism of dismissing a person, disempowering them for no reason whatsoever. I don't see that as good defense. I think that's offensive more than anything that else. That is actually, especially when there are so many people that lives are taken. Like, can you believe actually she went to that? Well, I, I understand the need for a defense, but there's a way. Yeah, but that's not that yeah. was not a very cool way she was trying to put, put you know. But we see that all the time. We can see it in the OJ Simpson case as well. And their, their job seems to be we will muddy the waters. We won't give it defence. We will just make it as difficult as possible for, you know, the evidence to be looked at. And I think that's something that should really go out of our legal systems. In the West, I think it's the most shocking, disappointing aspect of pretty much every major court case. It comes down to these things that are subjective communications based on psychology rather than actual, mm -hmm. here's our... Actual, yeah. 
here's what we know and here's and, and so there's too much playing around on the legal front i think to have exactly. a jury of your manipulation people. right there i feel like why not this is straight to the yeah exactly she tried to take to make Ted's retreat from Tallahassee look plausible by saying that there were lots of reasons a person may run from the police. Because, of course, the fact that he was an escaped prisoner it wouldn't be one of those reasons, would it? No. <laughs> she listed one as being afraid you'd be railroaded and being charged with something you did naturally do. Um, if he wasn't a, a young white man, she could be right. But in this instance, we've got enough. She stated it was clear she Bundy left town because he had no money and was running low on rent. But that doesn't make sense, does it? Um, oh. Again, did we mention that he'd escaped from jail? How many times do we have to mention this? <laughs> Quite interesting. Yeah, he's, he's escaped from jail. Don't, do, don't be a defense lawyer in a crime like that because you have not much to stand on. Well, if you have if you have ethics and morals, then you don't need to make stuff up. You just allow that exactly. you haven't got what you need to advise your client to plead guilty, don't you? So, yeah, you don't go through all this. That's right. Ted, Ted uh, good suggested that investigators dealing with Survivor and Levine's testimony had found Ted Bundy and matched his teeth to the actual bite, yes, rather than searching for the person who had made the mark itself stating if you want to convict the best shell in a confidence game maybe you'll accept what Savarin and Levine have to say it will be a sad day for our system of justice if a man can be convicted in our courts on the quality of the state's evidence <laughs> it's just mind-boggling of course that's how it should be and you can put a man's life on the line because they say he has crooked teeth without any proof it's such a unique without any scientific facts or database to their conclusions and this is so important. His teeth matched the actual bite. Could it be somebody else's teeth? Yes, it could. Was there anybody else in the area? Maybe not. So they're suggesting that you should run off and match his teeth, this bite mark, to the whole nation of men. And the fact that they've got a guy who was in that space at that time with that set of teeth shouldn't count for anything. Simpson then spoke again. Ladies and gentlemen, the man who committed this crime was smart. This man premeditated this murder. He knew what he was going to do before he did it and planned it and prepared himself for it. If there is any question in your mind about that, just look at the pantyhose mask. That is a weapon that was prepared by the perpetrator of this crime. Now, ladies and gentlemen, somebody took the time to make this weapon right here, this instrument that could be used for both a mask that could hide identity, and also for strangulation. Anybody who took the time to do that is not going to leave fingerprints at a crime scene. And there was not a single fingerprint in room 12 at the Oak. The room had been wiped clean. Ladies and gentlemen, this man is professional, just as he told Rusty Gang at the Oak back in January 1978. He is the kind of man smart enough to start to stand in courtroom and move to the end of the banister and cross-examine witnesses in this case because he thinks he is smart enough to get away with a crime, just like he told Rusty Gang. Ted Bundy himself had said nothing at all. Instead, he sat quiet at the defense table, sometimes staring at his hands. On July 23rd, 
at 2.7 p.m., jurors retired to determine whether or not he was guilty. The door was guarded by Dave Watson and the old bell. Ted Bundy was returned to his cell and uh, in the Dange Court Jail an hour later to await the verdict. At 6.31 oh, p.m., Judge Coward returned to the courtroom and as the jury had just one question they wanted to ask, it was whether or not the hearsay were found in the, the hairs that were found in pantyhose masks, they were told that said hairs were shaken from the mask. At 9.20 p.m., astonishing, the jury had already reached a verdict. As everyone failed back into the courtroom, only former foreman Rudolf Tamey glanced at the Ted Bundy. He then handed the slip, the set, the seven slips of paper to Judge Coward, who passed them to the court clerk, Shirley Lewis, who read them out loud. In less than seven hours, the jury, handpicked by Ted Bundy himself, which was made up of kind, kindly middle-aged women, churchgoers, and people who did, didn't read the newspaper, all found Theodore Robert Bundy guilty as charged in all accounts, he showed no emotion whatsoever, except for rising his eye, raising his eyebrow and rubbing his chin. When it was over, he sighed. His mother, Louis, was the one who began to cry again. I thought it was interesting because he wanted these middle-aged women um, that you've really got somebody who thinks he's a bit of a mummy's boy and that mm. women, women will cater to him they will nurture him they will believe him and so you can't help but wonder if he wasn't more than a little bit spoiled as a child that he got away with stuff and he just kept thinking he could get away with it in july 1979 bundy was found guilty of first degree murder for killing bowman levi and three counts of attempted murder in the first degree for attacking karen chandler Shaw thomas and kathy kleiner he was sentenced to death in the electric chair the following year, in February 1980, Bundy was convicted of kidnapping and first-degree murder for the death of Kimberly Leach and was again sentenced to death. On January 24, 1989, Bundy was strapped into the electric chair at Florida State Prison and at 7.16 a.m. he was pronounced dead. Oh, it's a bit of a mission, oh Ted Bundy. But next week, moving right along, the killer, Joanna Barraza, late last century and into the early 2000s, um, we found elderly women in Mexico City were being ruthlessly murdered in their homes. According to Crime Center, the victims were strangled and all had a similar profile. They were over 60 years old, lived alone, and lived near gardens or parks, so I better watch out. Fearing it could yeah. authorities refused to entertain the idea of a serial killer. I never understand that. So it, it causes hysteria. What's your problem? At least people might be a bit safer, right? That's such a selfish police attitude. You know, they, mm. I, don't, I don't believe really that it's about not scaring the public. I genuinely believe that the majority of the time it's about making their own life easier. Let's not deal with this. And it's such a dangerous thing. They should be sued for that. Nonetheless, the death toll continued to increase. Investigators theorized that the killer was a man who was somehow gaining the victim's trust before entering their home. 
They couldn't have been more wrong on both counts. And that's true crime for this week. Thank you so much, Frida. Thank you, Dorothy. We did it again. We did it again. <laughs> it's just like, oh, we're stunned mullets after Ted. All right, everybody, we'll catch you next week. Bye. We're in the Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.